Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Thanks for coming out on this beautiful Thursday night. I pray that you were well. I pray that the Lord is moving and blessing because he actually is. He didn't fall off the throne. Amen. He's still the king of heaven, still the king of earth. You know, sometimes, church, I think we have to be reminded of that truth because we do lose sight of it in the midst of these battles that we're going on and going through. So uh, don't lose heart in due season. We are going to reap if we don't lose heart while doing well. Amen? With that regard, I want to remind you, Sunday morning, we are actually going to have a communion service here in our outdoor sanctuary. So uh, make sure and be here for that. If you're watching online, make sure that you have those communion elements ready uh, at your homes, at your watch parties. But uh, we figured out a way to do that, socially separated. So you're going to see for the first time uh, some communion elements that are actually prepackaged. So they have the juice in the bottom, the bread on top. We use them at crusades and those types of things. So we'll have that available and we'll put them a little less, uh, uh, more, more or less one every other one in the tray so that you can reach them without touching the one next to it. And the guys will wear gloves and all those kind of things. But uh, we want to continue to try and figure out how to do this thing while we're doing what we've been asked to do, which is to be uh, socially separated a little bit and to wear some masks. And so uh, we're going to keep trying to do the best we can uh, with what the Lord has allowed into our lives. Before we get started tonight, I want to pray and just, just pray for the people of Beirut uh, in Lebanon. It's just what a tragedy uh, that whole situation is. And so uh, let's pray and then we'll dig into Isaiah chapter 30 and our third installment of the woes of the world and what happens to rebellious kids. And I don't know if any of you have uh, a propensity towards being rebellious, but I think most of mankind does. So I know this study is going to touch someone tonight. Well, let's pray. Father, we, we do lift up, Lord, so many uh, Marianite Christians there in, in the south of Lebanon. Lord, it used to be Phoenicia. It used to be almost entirely uh, a Christian uh, country. And Lord, we would pray that as uh, this disaster has unfolded as this incredible explosion which destroyed a, a vast majority of really the city has crippled their economy and the uh, Lord has left so many more than 4,000 wounded and who knows how many perished in this catastrophe. We pray that you'd be with those that are responding with the various governments, the nations around. I know Israel has offered support, the U.S. has offered support, Russia has offered support and so we just pray that all of the humanitarian aid that needs to get there. We just reach uh, those people who are in need. We pray that you would protect them and watch over them uh, as the effort is ongoing to, to minister to those that were harmed. Uh, we pray that you would be exalted. We pray that your name somehow in all of this would be, would be spread in, in power as the answer to the, the problems that uh, we all face, Lord, it's really our eternal destiny. It's, it's not the temporal things of life, it's the eternal. And so we pray that you, eternal King of heaven, uh, would be with the people of Lebanon, the government there. And uh, Lord, we just ask tonight as we open your word, 
that you would move in power and in strength to instruct us, Lord, through the wonder, the beauty of your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, I remind you, we're studying the prophet Isaiah. So he's writing in about 686 B.C. Uh, the Assyrian king Sennacherib is, is the king. He's also the general of the army. He is uh, the ruler, really, of the, of the Middle East at that point in time. Uh, he is a vicious, uh, unbelievably vile king uh, who is bent, really, on capturing uh, every square inch of the Middle East at the time. And so this is a message for the children of Israel at the time, but it speaks forward and it speaks to a truth in, in our time and in our lives today as well. And so verse 1, Isaiah chapter 30, as we look at all of chapter 30 tonight, woe to the rebellious children. I remember what's happened here. And so anytime that you want to deal with your own kids and they're doing something, just take them to this verse. Woe to rebellious children, says the Lord, who take counsel against me. And you can just kind of insert your own name there. Now, it is the Lord speaking to this issue that I think still plagues the world today. Certainly it is alive in my own life, but there are times and it's just like, I don't, you know, Lord, I know your word says that, but I'm not sure that's what I want to do right now. That person wasn't very nice to me, so I'm not sure I want to respond in kindness. I'm not sure I really want to try and love them in Christ. And so there's a little bit of rebellion. And in fact, the Bible says that we're all rebellious, that we have that seed that's in us from Adam. And so it says, woe to the rebellious children, says the Lord. And notice how to define this, how to understand it, how to know it. Who take counsel not from me. In other words, they will not listen to the Lord. They're prone to not listen to the Lord. And the chief way, of course, that we can do that as believers is by doing what his word says. Amen? There, there are times that I believe and have experienced in my own life that God actually does speak to us as individuals, uh, that he has a word for you specifically for that moment. It will never, though, contradict what the word of God says. And so 100% of the time, if you come to me and say, well, I really want to know what the word of the Lord is in this situation, and the Bible itself already speaks to that, all I'm going to do is point you to what the Bible says, because I know that is true. I know it's true. And so Isaiah begins this chapter by saying, who take counsel not from me, that is from the Lord, who devise plans, but not of my spirit, and remember that God exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. So God the Son, who is also known as the Word, who became flesh, is not going to disagree with God the Spirit or God the Father, amen? So this is like a reiteration of the truth. Who don't take counsel from me, the Lord God, remember Jesus has not yet been revealed, uh, in, in that he has not become Messiah yet, in other words, he is not uh, already died on Calvary's cross, and so we don't know him yet as the actual Savior. So at that point in time, you have God the Father, God the Spirit, are actively engaged in the world at that time. God the Son will make occasional appearances as the angel of the Lord. He might 
appear in the Christophany, but this is clearly saying who devised plans that are not from the word of God and not from the spirit of God, that they may add sin to sin. A series on the, on the march, the obstinate children, God's kids in this case, are, are making their own personal will known. They're, they're exercising their will against God's will. And basically, Isaiah is now going to address this issue with what they want to do relative to what God has asked them to do. Anybody ever have problems with doing what God wants you do, to do relative to what God has told you to do? In other words, you look at what the Bible says... And you're going, yeah, I just, man, I don't know that I want to forgive that person. I, I, I kind of like hanging on to my anger, my bitterness in that situation. No, I'm, I'm not sure I really want to do good to those who persecute me and use me falsely for God's namesake. I'm not sure I really want to do that. I think we all have times when we know what God's word says, but we really don't want to do what it says because it grates against our flesh. Amen? Our, our flesh is like, ah, I want to rule. And the spirit in you is going, no, I'm supposed to rule. And so there's a little bit of a battle. And the children of Israel are experiencing that. And basically Isaiah is going to now address what they want to do versus what they should do. What they want to do, what their flesh is telling them to do versus what they should do because God's already spoken to them. When God's word is spoken to us, that is the final word. And there are so many things in life that we can simply take out the Bible. And I, I would always encourage you, you know, sometimes we don't take a lot of care in purchasing Bibles, but I always encourage people, get one with a topical index in the back. They're very, very, very helpful. It's just a simple tool. And so if you want to look up, what does it say about death? It'll give you 40 verses on what it says about death. You can simply look it up and go, and then look in context and see if it's speaking to the issue that you're dealing with. So even if you're not a Bible scholar, the next thing that you could all have, if you have a cell phone, you can just simply download Blue Letter Bible. It's free, and you can type into the little search window there, you know, verses about, and then type in divorce, or verses about, and type in wine, or verses about, and type in anger, or verses about, and type in anything you want, and all of a sudden, here comes all these verses that speak to that. Now, I want to warn you, but sometimes that's not going to place them in context. They could conceivably not be that. So make sure you're cross-referencing. But the Bible speaks to so many things. And yet, when it speaks, sometimes it's amazing to me how many people go, I know but. I already read that. I know what verse you're going to use. Well, why aren't you doing it? Well, I don't like what it says. Well, you'd not be alone. And the children of Israel certainly uh, fell into the category uh, of not wanting to get counsel in that sense from, from God. They wanted to get it from the world. I had this happen just a couple of weeks ago, and somebody came to me, and they, they were on this tirade uh, of we should never talk to anyone at all, ever, in the world because there's no one in the world who can speak into our lives. And they used a very specific a profession, which I want to address tonight. I want to just say something very simple. There, there has been a lot of banter in, in the church about the value of psychology, psychologists, and psychiatrists. 
And I want to be the first one to tell you, if you haven't heard this before, there are a whole lot of psychologists and psychiatrists and people who delve into those things which involve our minds, which are nothing more than computer made out of meat, who are very godly and gifted, who love the Lord, that may very well be able to help you understand things. Just because they have a profession in the world does not mean that they are evil and godless. So be very careful about excluding counsel simply because somebody said, well, you know, psychology is not of the Lord, or psychiatry is not of the Lord, or something about that particular profession has been told to you by someone who probably has an ulterior motive. We are to not get counsel from the world, but that doesn't mean that there aren't people that you may go to in the world that can't give you good counsel. Do you understand what I'm saying? doesn't mean that every bit of counsel, you have to weigh it against the word of God. You have to weigh it against the spirit of God. You have to hear from the Lord when you're hearing from people that maybe are giving you medical advice or maybe they're giving you psych, you know, some type of psychological advice or they're giving you some type of counsel. Weigh it against the word of God and the spirit of God, the two things that are mentioned here. Just simply weigh it. You have tools to understand with. Weigh it against the word of God, weigh it against the spirit of God. Don't just simply say, well, nothing that anyone says that isn't, you know, if a pastor doesn't tell me. Oh, well, maybe that person that you're meeting in that doctor's office was actually sent by the Lord to give you that specific word. Just weigh it against the word of God, weigh it against the spirit of God. But let's also be true to what the Bible says. The world is not our friend. Amen? It's not. The world is not your friend. Notice verse 2. Who walked to go down to Egypt. And remember, as we've studied through the book of Isaiah, I've reminded you many times that when you see Egypt, you could easily insert the world in there. Egypt was kind of used in that sense throughout the Old Testament as a way for us to understand there's God's way and there's the world's way. And very often, the country that was stuck in that position was Egypt because Egypt was the mortal enemy to the Jewish people. Egypt had enslaved God's people. Egypt had taken advantage of God's people. Egypt had said, God's not right, we're right. Egypt had its own king instead of God the king. And so, who walk or go down to Egypt, who have not, and again, look at it, have not asked my advice, to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh, who trust in the shadow of Egypt. And that phrase there in the original language, the shadow of Egypt, is really saying something about Egypt. It's saying Egypt is a shadow. Egypt is a vapor. Egypt is here today and gone tomorrow. Egypt is actually not real if you want to look at it in an eternal sense. Egypt is there right now, and Egypt has power right now, but it only has power so long as God allows it to have power. It is a shadow. It's a vapor. Compared to the Most High God, Egypt has nothing on you is another way to look at it. Therefore, the strength of Pharaoh shall be your shame. If you trust in the world, if you trust in helicopters, if you trust in the world, if you go to the world for counsel, if you seek after the things of the world, there is going to come a point in time as a child of God that that counsel is not going to be what you need and it will not uphold you in your time of need. 
That's why you need to weigh things against the word of God. That's why you must weigh them against the spirit of God. You must hold all things as, is this pleasing to the Lord? Is this God-honoring? Because the strength of Pharaoh, Egypt, if you trust in him, it'll be your shame. If you trust in the shadow of Egypt, it will be your humiliation. For his princes were at Zoan, and his ambassadors came to Hanes. And so Isaiah is saying, look, let's put this in perspective. You had godly leaders. You had really godly leaders. You, you had Moses lead you out of captivity and into the wilderness. You had Joshua lead you from the wilderness into the promised land. You, you, you had David lead you once you became a nation. You, you had Jehoshaphat, the great godly king, lead you when things were falling apart. You had men in your, in your existence and in your time, you could look back on them and say, look, you had all of this leadership that was following after God, and guess what you didn't do? Every single time the children of Israel got in trouble, they got in trouble for the same exact reason. They got tired of listening to God. They looked at what the world had. They said, we want what the world has, and they abandoned the godly leader. They said, we're going to turn away from the godly leader, and we're going to go to the ungodly leader. And so God gave them successive kings that were godless. He said, look, if you want godlessness, I'm not going to stop you from seeking after it. You can have that, but it's not going to go good for you. And so they abandoned Moses. Moses is on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments. He's talking to God. They come down, what are the, what are the children of Israel doing? They're partying. They're at the base of the mountain. They've melted down their jewelry. They've made a golden calf. We're going to worship the golden calf. And then they try and lie about it. Whoa, you know, we didn't, it just came out of the fire. It's nuts. This is, this is human nature 101. This is what people do. And if you're not careful, if you're not weighing things against the word of God and weighing things against the spirit of God, then this is where you'll go. You'll just go, well, you know, somebody made a campfire and a calf came out of it. Let's worship that. That's kind of what happens when you watch TV, isn't it? There's, it's like a golden calf dispenser. It's like you just sit there, oh, it's a new golden calf. I'll believe that. That's got to be true, you know, after all. Tucker Carlson said it. There it is. Wow. And again, I'm not trying to pick on anyone in that regard. I'm just simply saying, that's not the word of God. The word of God is right here. It doesn't get dispensed from the world. It gets dispensed from itself by the Spirit. Egypt was a shadow. The world was a shadow. It wasn't, in effect, you could almost say it wasn't real. Now, I don't want anybody to think that I've lost my mind. The chairs you're sitting on are real. Amen? That's the reason that you're not on the ground. They're real. They're made out of substance. They have atoms and molecules and, that comprise some elements, and the elements have been turned into metals, and those metals and plastics and things that you're sitting on, they, they have some substance. But at the end of the day... Those chairs are not eternal. When you get to heaven, you're not going, man, I, I recognize those from the parking lot. <laughs> it's not going to happen. They're not eternal. They're here for a while. They're going to decay. They're going to be gone. And one day, the Bible says, 
The whole earth, everything on it is going to be wrapped up like a scroll, done away with, new heaven, new earth. Amen? That's what your Bible says about our existence. So while those chairs today, in this moment, are substantive and real, they're actually not eternal. So in that sense, you can only trust in them for a while. They're only good for a little bit of time. And so Isaiah's actually trying to tell the children of Israel, look, make sure you put your trust in eternal things and not in temporal things. In things that will last, not in things that will fade. The very same principles taught by the, the Apostle James when he said, look, your life is a vapor. It's here today, it's gone tomorrow. So don't worry about your life because the life, the actual, the lifeblood or humanity, the things that we are as human beings, though it's substantive right now, you're going to get a new body one day. I'm looking forward to that day. Amen? Anybody else looking forward to that? Yeah, you're going to get a new body. It's going to be suited for heaven. And so in that sense, if you're trying to preserve who you are right now, it's going to go really bad for you. All you got to do, look at some of those magazines where you see, let's just say, some aging stars and star. Have you seen some of those folks when they get to be 70? They're still trying to act like they're 20? They're still dressing like they're 20 or 30? And you're like, ooh, that's not good. I'm not sure what that is, but I don't know who you're fooling, but it's not me. Why? Because you're not going to live forever in the body that you're in right now. It's temporal. It's going to last for a while. It was suited for the purpose intended, which is to get you through your time here on this earth, through that journey, and then you're going to get a new one. So why do we spend all this time on temporal things? Isaiah is trying to focus them in. Verse 5, they were all ashamed of people who could not benefit them nor help or benefit, but shame and also reproach, the burden against the beast of the south and through the land of trouble and of anguish, from which came lions and lionesses and a viper and a fiery serpent. And they carried their riches on the backs of young donkeys and their treasure on the humps of camels. They're saying, basically, look, you guys are trying to escape the Assyrians. You're trying to run to Egypt. You're putting all your junk on the backs of animals and you're running to a country that can't help you. It's filled with serpents. That when you get there, you were already there. You got delivered from there. Why do you want to go back there? The picture of this, of course, is our lives. When we've been delivered by the Spirit of God, when we've come into a right relationship with Jesus Christ, you've been delivered from Egypt, amen, from the world. From the bondage of sin and death, through the grace that we have in Christ Jesus. And this life that you're now living is actually a life that was paid for by Christ why would you ever want to go back to the old life? Why would you want to put all your stuff on the back of your temporal camel and the back of your car and put, take all your, well, you know, I'm just going to escape. I'm going to run away from God. Because God actually told them to stay put. And the people who do it shall not profit, Isaiah said. Look, it's not going to go well for you. For the Egyptians shall help in vain and to no purpose. The world shall help in vain and to no purpose. 
Can I burst someone's bubble tonight? The world doesn't give two cents about you. The world doesn't care about you. And if you think it does, you're deluded. The world does not care about you. Now, that's not saying that there aren't nice people. That's not saying that your country is evil and, you know, that we serve a, you know, some kind of false god. And, you know, I'm not trying to make that case, but I'm trying to say at the end of the day, when your life is over, most of you are going to get about that much in a newspaper. It's going to say, you were born on such and such a date and you died on such and such a date and you were a member of the Kiwanis. And you went to Calvary Chapel, South Bay. And, you know, you, you once helped save a whale or something. It's, it's going to say a few things, but the world doesn't care. The world doesn't care. No matter how great you are on this earth, there is nothing you're doing here except seeing other people come to faith in Christ that's going to go with you there. That's it. And so the Egyptians, the world can't help. It's going to help in vain. It's going to have no purpose. And therefore, I have called her Rahab Him Shabbat. It's an interesting name. It means Rahab who does nothing. <laughs> it's like Rahab is another name for Egypt. It's Egypt who does nothing. So Isaiah is saying, look, Egypt can't do anything for you. You have to trust in the Lord. That's the reason that Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, in, in Proverbs chapter 3, spoke those words that most of us know. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge the Lord, and he will guide and direct your path. Amen? Notice what's absent from that? It doesn't say trust in the world. It doesn't say trust in really smart people. It doesn't say trust in politicians or government. It doesn't say trust in your doctors. It says trust in the Lord with all of your heart. In other words, with all that is within you, trust in the Lord. If you really want to prosper in this life, trust fully in the Lord. Don't worry about, as Isaiah would probably say, don't worry about the Assyrian invasion. I know it looks bad. Don't worry about what they're doing. God's got this. And how we need this message today, because we need to trust in the Lord. Look, it's hard. I talk to people literally daily. It's like, man, I'm just struggling. It's like, I don't know. I don't know what to do. When's this going to end? Church, we may not have answers to those questions. But I can tell you what to do. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. He has not brought you thus far to destroy you. He loves you with an everlasting love. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. He's got this. But we have to do the trusting while he's doing the doing. Amen? We have to do the trusting while he's doing the doing. It doesn't work the other way around. You can't do the doing and then ask God to trust you. You have to trust him to get it done. It's so important we get that part right. Because the Jewish people, the Israelites in this case always seem to have a propensity to when they get in a tight spot, they'd be going along trusting the Lord, and then as soon as things got tough, right back to the world. 
It's a recipe for disaster. In that sense, it's kind of like they were saying to Isaiah, hey man, don't move my cheese. It's like, like don't, don't mess with what I'm doing here. It's like, you know, I, I, I want it my way. And God's saying, no, look, I, I, I want to speak to you what you need to hear. I may tell you something you don't like. You know, if you look up the pastoral job description, it says, make people upset. No, seriously. It's like, if I tell you only what you want to hear, I'm not being a good pastor. I'm just telling you that. Because there's times when you're wrong. There's times when you have a viewpoint. I have the same thing in my own life, so I don't speak that as someone other than one of you. Because I have people, you know, you might want to check that one against the things that God says. That Yeah, you're right. My job is to not make you happy. My job is to tell you the truth. Now, hopefully, most of you, ultimately, you're going to go, that was right and it made me happy. But there are going to be times when it's going to afflict you. You're not going to like to hear what I have to say. Because the Bible is clear on this issue. God does chasten us when we're, we're going the wrong way. It's because he loves us. He tells us, yeah, you're not supposed to be going that way. And so verse 8, and I love this. This is, a, this is kind of a little bit of Isaiah's style at, from time to time. He, he, he does kind of a little one-man play. And in this case, he's going to make a sign, you know, kind of like the people who wear the, the A-frame signs, and it says on one side of it, you know, eat at Joe's on the other side, best tacos in town, or something like that. You know, it's just, this is, Isaiah's now got his sign. Now go and write it before them on a tablet, note it on a scroll, that it may be for a time to come forever and ever. So he says, go make a banner. Go do a, go do a scroll, a big one. And I want you to take it before the people, and here's what it's going to say, that this is a rebellious people. Lying children, children who will not hear the law of the Lord. Imagine how popular you're going to be with that sign in town. Hey, you bunch of lying heathens. <laughs> Isaiah's been given this task by the Lord. Um, just want to let you know you're a rebellious liar. Children who won't listen to the Lord. Now, on one hand, we're, we're kind of giggling about that, and I think we should. But on the other hand, you realize how sad that is? Think about how sad this is. All they got to do is look north. When you travel to Jerusalem and you're standing at the southern end where Zion Hill begins, which is the city of David, and as it was called Mount Moriah, which is the hill of Zion, as it would bend towards the north, as you're looking into the hills of Judea and Samaria, all they could see was Assyrians. That's all they could see. Mount of Olives, Mount Scopus, covered with the tents, the tents of the Assyrian army. Poised, ready to strike. And you're walking around town with, you might want to listen to the Lord. You see, sometimes you can see the danger, and when you tell people the truth, they're like, nah, I'm not going to believe that. I'll make up my own truth. 
who say to the seers, don't see, and to the prophets, do not prophesy to us right things. And I want to just caution you in your own life. Don't ever get to this place. Don't ever get to the place to where you start complaining about the truth and, and say to that person who told it to you, hey man, don't move my cheese. Don't mess with me. I, things are going fine. Don't tell me the truth now. Don't, don't, don't you dare share the truth of God with me right now. If that person loves you, they're going to tell you the truth. Don't prophesy to us right things. Notice what the alternative is. Speak to us smooth things. We'd rather have you prophesy to us lies, deceit. Tell us what we want to hear. Tell us what we want to hear. Don't tell us what we need to hear. Tell us what we want to hear. Church, I think this is part of the problem with our country right now. I think this is part of the problem with our country. We're waiting for somebody to come tell us what we want to hear. And, and, and we're getting to the point to where, well, I don't really want to hear the truth. I, I'd rather hear some smooth deceit. I'd rather hear some lies. Be careful. Because sometimes God tells us things we don't want to hear. Verse 11, get out of the way. Turn aside from the path. Cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. Don't talk to us about God. He holds up a sign, says you guys are a mess. And their response is, we don't want to hear about God. Be really, really, really careful if you ever get to this place. Because it's about this close to disaster. It's really close. Look, there are so many times when we can go and we can find someone to give us counsel, to, to tell us the things that we want to hear. Maybe it's about your marriage. Maybe it's about some habit. Maybe it's about some business deal. Maybe it's about something in your family. You can almost always find someone to speak to you smooth deceit and lies. And they might even claim to be your friend. They might even claim to make a treaty with you. Well, you know, look, we're, we're friends here. You need to look at that person. If they are telling you something that's directly against the word of the Lord, then they are not your friend. They're not even your family at that moment in time. They may be related to you via DNA, but your real family is the family of God. The real family is the family of Christ. The real family is the ones that will tell you the truth 100% of the time. Not tell you what you want to hear, but tell you what you need to hear. And sometimes you won't like what they say. I, I have had so many times in my life where well-intentioned people have come and because they can see that there's something going on, they'll, they'll say something and I just look at them and it's like, man, that's not from the Lord. No, I don't need to get angry. I don't need to fight back. I don't need to say something in return. I don't need to do that. That's not what God wants me to do. You're telling me that because you, you want to have me as a friend and you think that by telling me that, we'll maintain our friendship. What you need to tell me is to stop doing what you're doing 
and do what God tells you to do. And so here these animals are burdened down with all their stuff. It's like they're going to escape and they're going to head down to Egypt and they're going to take their junk with them. Can I tell you something about traveling away from God? When you travel away from God, guess who goes with you? You. And all your junk. When you travel away from God, you're not actually getting away from God. You're just taking what you already have and you're moving it somewhere else. And so all the problems that you had, in this case in Jerusalem, are going to follow you all the way down through the Negev, through that miserable journey, because the way of the transgressor is hard, and you're going to get to Egypt, and you're going to go, man, it's not any better here. This happens so often as I counsel people, and they're in a rough spot in their marriage. You say, wow, you know, if you were just married to him, if you were just married to her, if you just understood what I'm going through, going, no, I don't need to know that. I'm sure that you're right, that it's rough, it's hard, it's difficult. I'm sure it maybe even needs to change. But I'm telling you, if you do what you're planning on doing right now, which is retribution because of those things, you're going to end up in a worse place when you get done. It's not going to fix the problem. That's going to get fixed by the Spirit of God working through the Word of God in both of your lives. That's how that's going to get fixed. You see, ultimately, this is kind of pushing us forward into another time. It is speaking of how we ultimately have to remind ourselves, look, there are consequences to our decisions in life. God moves those things in our life for a reason. And to not listen to him can be very, very, very difficult on us. Imagine Isaiah carrying that sign, walking around Jerusalem, most of the people either laughing or throwing things at him. They didn't want to hear a message that disturbed their way of life, but it was the very thing that they needed to hear. And what Isaiah was trying to save them from, what God was trying to save them from, was the dire consequences that were going to come upon them if they continued the direction they were going, if they kept going to Egypt. Verse 12, And therefore... Thus says the Holy One of Israel, because you despise this word and trust in oppression and perversity and rely on them. You get what he's saying? Look, there's a lot of things in life that are legal. There's a lot of things in life that you can get people to agree with you, but they're not okay with God. Because you trust in those things. Because you trust in the inequities of this life. Therefore, this iniquity shall be to you like a breach ready to fall. In other words, it is a weak spot in the wall of your protection in the Lord. It's a hole that wasn't yet open, but it's about to open. It's a place where the enemy is going to come full steam into your life. It's a breach. It's ready to fall, a bulge in a high wall whose breaking comes suddenly in an instant. During those days and times, uh, the Assyrians weren't too famous for it, but those that would follow them, the Babylonians, and then further on into history, especially the Greeks and the Romans, were very famous, the Phoenicians, for using siege machines. Trebuchets, ballista, catapults. They would hurl large stones, and they would just continue to hit the same spot in the wall. The whole point was they weren't bombs per se. They were very large rocks. They were throwing rocks against rocks. 
and they were just keeping working on one spot. And eventually, it would create a breach in the wall, and then the whole army goes in. It's the way the devil works. He keeps throwing rocks at the same spot in your life. He, he keeps hucking boulders at you. And after a while, you're just like, man, I just can't take any more rocks. I'm just, I don't care. Just let them fly. I'll just move over, and maybe the rest of the wall will protect me. The catastrophe in this case comes as it does in your life and mine as well in an instant. And he shall break it like the breaking of a potter's vessel, which is broken to pieces, and he shall not spare. God's saying, look, I'm actually the one that's going to be behind this. I'm going to allow these things to happen to you. The potter is going to break your vessel. You think you're going to take your clay pot down to Egypt and it's going to be fine. It's not. It's not. It shall be found in fragments, a shard to the fire from the hearth. There won't be anything to take water from the cistern. You know, ultimately passages like this look forward to the book of Revelation and to what God says happens when when the Messiah comes again and, and rules with the rod of iron and how God breaks down sin, but God's trying to do that now in our lives. So whether it's Revelation 2 and the Lord speaking of that time or Revelation 19 when he commands that time to be because he's come back and, and now he's come as the lion of the tribe of Judah. He, he's, he's saying to us now, he says, don't allow your wall to be broken down. Don't, don't be passive about your relationship with God. Because the things that you trust in, they're like pottery on the back of a camel heading to Egypt. It's not going to sustain you. seems valuable now, but it's not going to do anything for you in eternity. Verse 15, For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in your returning and rest you should be saved. And now we, we see the reverse of it. He said, look, Don't go down to Egypt. Turn around before you get very far. Go back into the city of Jerusalem. Now, remember, the city of Jerusalem is besieged. The Assyrian army is everywhere. And God's saying, it's not you doing more, it's you trusting and resting in me. Do you get it? Look what he says. In returning and rest, you'll be saved. In quietness and in confidence, shall be your strength. But you would not. They that wait on the Lord will be renewed in strength. They that rest in the Lord will be built up. They who hide under the shadow of his almighty wings will mount up with wings of eagles and they'll run and they won't grow weary. It is not you doing more, it's you resting in the Lord. So much of our modern existence is just chaos, isn't it? It's nuts things. It's things you can't control. God's saying to us, look, it's not in you running away from your problems, it's you resting in me. Do you understand what he's saying? It's not in you running away from your problems. You can't run far enough to get away from all the problems in this life. There's no place that you can go. David said that. If I were in the depths of Hades, that's where you are, Lord. You can be there too. If I exalted myself to the highest heights of heaven, you're there You can't run away from the things of this life, but you can rest always in the Lord. And so he's telling them, look, you see all those Assyrians? They're nothing. I've got that under control. 
The same is true for us when I'm talking to people about what we're going through with this pandemic. It's like, you know, they throw their hands up there like, oh, I can't believe it. It's like, when is this going to end? It's like the end of the world. And look, it's terrible. Don't mistake what I'm saying here. It is awful. I hate it. I want it to end personally. I wish it were over right now. I hope I get a call tomorrow from, from the Office of Public Health saying, okay, you can go back inside your sanctuary. I hope that happens. That's what I pray for. But if it doesn't, God's still on the throne. Amen? Amen? If it lasts a while longer, God's still on the throne. But I'm going to tell you, me running away to Montana is not going to fix the real problem because the problem is not the coronavirus. The problem is sin. The problem is sin in this world. The problem is the same problem that afflicted the Israelites. It's the same problem that afflicted Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. The problem is sin. That's the real problem. That's the one that we've got to conquer. And you can't run away from your sin nature. You have to deal with your sin nature by resting and being found at rest in Christ Jesus. You would not. And so you said, no, we will flee on horses, and therefore you shall flee. And we will ride on swift horses, and therefore those who pursue, pursue you will be all the more swift, is the way it actually reads in Hebrew. Oh, you're going to run all right. You're going to go further, all right, but you're not going to be able to go far enough, and you're not going to be able to go fast enough. They're going to catch you. And 1,000 shall flee at the threat of one, and the threat of five you shall flee until you are left as a pole on the top of a mountain, as a banner on a hill. It's like, look, you're, you can run all you want. That's not the problem. You need to rest. You need to stop. You need to turn around. And, and, and I... I sometimes look at the world that we're in right now, and I, and I don't want to belabor this, but I see so many Christians who are looking for a political solution to a spiritual problem. They're, they're looking for somebody in Washington, D.C. to finally pass a law that's going to cure what ails us. I'm just telling you, it's never going to happen. Now, I pray that we have more and more godly leaders. I, I pray and we should be praying constantly for our president and Congress and our governor and senators and everyone else. But the answer is not in Washington, D.C. The answer is in heaven. The answer is the Lord. For the people of God, that's who the Israelites are, that's who we are. For the people of God, the answer is, is the Lord. It's the only hope of all mankind, by the way. It's not just the hope of the Israelites. It's not just the hope of the church. It's the hope and the only hope of everyone. So why are we pretending that somehow Washington, D.C. or our Constitution can solve this problem? It can't. It never will. Because the Constitution can't change the human heart. It can provide us a wonderful place to live. It can give us freedoms like no other nation, but it can't save you. So stop running to the Constitution to save you. Only grace can save you by faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? Don't miss that message. And therefore the Lord will wait. Check this out. 
you're being a knucklehead, and God's sitting there going, they'll be back. <laughs> they'll turn around eventually. I love this. That's our God, amen? The Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you. How is the Lord gracious to us? By giving us grace, amen? And therefore, he will, he will be exalted, and he will have mercy on you. For the Lord is a God of justice, and blessed are those who make sure they have all their laws right. No, it says blessed are those who wait for him. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't care about our political system. We certainly do. It doesn't mean that we don't try and elect godly rulers. We absolutely should. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't even be involved in that political process. We should. If we want to have godly rulers, you better vote. But it means my hope and my trust is in the Lord. Amen? The children of Israel didn't have to fight the Assyrians. This is the crazy thing. Now, we're going to find out as this story unfolds that God was actually preparing them for a miracle. He was going to take care of the Assyrians. They would not ever have to fight them. But they're going, oh, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I can trust God with this. And I'm thinking there are probably some of you here tonight that are saying the same thing. I don't know if I can trust God with this. You can trust God with this. You can trust God with this. Whatever your this is, you can trust him. Verse 19, for the people shall dwell in Zion at Jerusalem. You shall weep no more. Read these words carefully. God had it under control. He was going to take care of the Assyrians. They were told to wait on the Lord. They were not told to go build up a strong army. They were not told to run. He will be very gracious to you at the sound of your cry. The moment, do you realize that God's heart is inclined to you tonight? He is waiting for you to cry out to him. He's waiting for you to say, Lord, help. But the problem is we don't cry out to the Lord, we cry out to the world. We start packing our junk on a camel. And God's saying, look, I'm right here. Remember where I've always been. Why don't you try crying out to me? I want to be gracious to you. And when he hears, I love this, he will answer you. Amen? God's not going, well, you know, maybe. Yeah, if you're nice, if you're good. Notice there's nothing about the children of Israel doing the right thing. He's just saying, if you would cry to me, I would answer you. You're being knuckleheads, but if you would cry to me, I will answer you. You're doing the wrong thing. If you would cry to me, I will answer you. And though the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, he said, look, you're doing the wrong things. You're going to suffer the consequences in life. You're doing the wrong thing. You're going to suffer consequences for it. But I'm right here, and if you will cry to me, I will answer you. Yet your teachers will not be moved into a corner anymore. But your eyes shall see your teachers. Your ears will hear the word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. And whenever you turn to the right or whenever you turn to the left, the Spirit of God is basically saying to him, look, this is the way, walk in it. Don't listen to the world, listen to me. Church, what a lesson for us. We got some people who purported to be geniuses in our world. They're nothing compared to the Lord. And so we need to listen to the Lord. Doesn't mean that we don't get counsel. Doesn't mean that we don't look at things in the world with a rational view. We, we certainly must. We should. We need to have prudence. We need to have wisdom. All those kind of things. 
But ultimately, the only one who can save us is the Lord. And so he says to them, look, there, there's restoration. There's, there's also going to be retribution that's coming. You, you need to understand this. It's, it's going to happen. I'm going to take care of this. You will also defile the covering of your sil- images of silver, the ornament of your molded images of gold, and you will throw them away as an unclean thing. Eventually, you're going to come to your senses, is what he's saying. He says, look, you've been in rebellion. You're doing the wrong thing. Eventually, when you cry to me, you're going to recognize that those are just idols. And you'll say to them, get away. Now, probably some of you can say, oh, man, did that happen to me with alcohol? Or, man, did that happen to me with that relationship? Or, man, did that happen to me with drugs? Or, man, did that happen to me with my life of crime? That happened to me already. I saw those things for what they were, and I said to them, get thee behind me, Satan, go away. That's the way God works. When we cry out to him, he's probably going to tell you to throw a few things away. Get that stuff out of your life. And then he will give you the rain for your seed with which you sow the ground and bread of the increase of the earth that it will be fat and plentiful. Look, you you can't escape the truth of Scripture. Blessings come from obedience. They always have. They always will. If you want God's best, you need to be obedient. If you want him to bless you, he blesses the obedient. Providentially, he gives good things to even bad people. But if you want the blessings, you want the abundance, you want the things that God really has for you, then you must be obedient. There's no other way. For in that day, now he moves forward into the time of Jacob's trouble, into the days that still lie ahead for us tonight, that your cattle will feed in large pastures. Likewise, the oxen, the young donkeys that work the ground, they will eat cured fodder. In other words, in the days of war, they would just grab whatever they had and drag it into the city, and that would be the animal's food. It's very much the same as we harvest alfalfa or timothy for hay, and you, you roll it up and you store it for a while, and you, you let it get good and fermented so that it, it's ready to be eaten. Now, it can go too long, but the point was it wasn't just the weeds of the field. It was actually feed that was suitable for the animal. That's what happens when you wait on the Lord. You get the good stuff. You don't get the leftovers. You don't get the scrapings from the field. You get the very best of what the field can give you. Which has been winnowed with a shovel and with a fan. It's like all the rocks are are gotten out of it. You know, during that day, we're so used to going down and getting Ezekiel bread at the store, right? It may be five bucks a loaf, but you, you, know, you eat it, there's nothing. You don't have to worry about breaking your teeth. Anybody break your teeth on any bread recently? Back in that day and time when you, when you winnowed, you winnowed the rocks and everything else around it. If you didn't winnow it, there would be rocks inside of your flour. You'd be you know, chewing away on your bread like, oh, there goes a molar. Dentists were not in existence at that point in time. You just had one less tooth. And he's saying, look, if you want the very best, if you want bread that's, that's awesome to eat, then you want your flour to come from grain that's been winnowed, shoveled, fanned multiple times so that it's good. You see, God takes the produce of your life and he throws it up in the air sometimes, doesn't he? The purpose is to blow away the chaff. The purpose is to get rid of the junk, to get the rocks out. 
The purpose is to bless you, but you've got to submit yourself to the Lord doing that. If you want to be restored, if you want to be liberated, if you want to be set free, you have to submit yourself to the Lord winnowing the seeds of your life. God wanted to bless them. And there will be on every high mountain and every high hill rivers and streams of waters in the day of great slaughter when the towers fall. And so he moves forward into the time that we call the tribulation that comes to a close with that great slaughter that's there in Revelation chapter 19. This is the day of his indignation. This is the day of his wrath. He's actually looking way forward beyond our day and time even tonight. As the bowls of wrath have been poured out on the earth, he says, you want the best things for me, then, then you need to let me winnow. You need to let me fan that, that seed. And he's basically saying, look, my, my tongue is a devouring, uh, a devouring fire. And his breath is like an overflowing stream which reaches up to the neck to sift the nations. Deceive with a futility. In other words, to take the futility out of the people. There will be a, a bridle in the jaws of the people causing them air. But you will have a song. As in the night when a holy festival is kept, gladness of heart, as when one goes with the flute and you come to the high mountain of the Lord, to the mighty one of Israel, and the Lord will cause his glorious voice to be heard. In other words, he's speaking of that time when the Israelites finally see Messiah. It's like when they come into that place of grace that you and I might be tonight. If you know the Lord and you're here tonight, you're walking in this incredible grace of God. Amen? He's saying, look, that's going to happen. The Lord will cause his glorious voice to be heard. What's the most glorious voice of the Lord for God's people? It's the voice of grace. It's the voice of salvation. It's the voice of personal relationship. To show the descent of his arm. In other words, God's hand descending to the children of Israel with the indignation of his anger and the flame of his devouring fire with scattering and tempest and hailstones. And through the voice of the Lord. Now notice what it says. Through the voice of of the Lord, Assyria will be beaten down as he strikes with a rod. In other words, guys, you're not going to have to fight them. I'll fight them for you. So whatever your Assyria is tonight, God will fight it for you. And in every place where the staff of punishment passes, which the Lord lays on him, it will be tambourines and harps and in battles of brandishing, he will fight with it. Verse 33 gives us a picture. Some people will ask this question, and I won't belabor it tonight. But this is an Old Testament mention of what the New Testament calls Gehenna, or hell. That is the word for Tophet. was established of old. So when Jesus says that Hell was established for Satan and his angels. It was established from old. Yes, for the king, for the Assyrian king, a type of Satan. It was made in a deep and a large, it's fire with much wood, for the breath of the Lord, like the stream of brimstone, kindles it. God always has the last say. God always has the last say. Always. 
And though Isaiah is finally coming back around to the current situation with the Assyrians, and though he's giving us a picture, he's saying, look, I want to make sure that you understand something. God's always had a plan to deal with evil. God's always had a plan to deal with Satan. God's always had something more than just what Jesus calls in in Luke chapter 16, Sheol, or, or what we call often Hades. He's always had a plan that includes a real hell. And that plan was for Satan and his angels. That's why Jesus says it in part of the Olivet Discourse there in Matthew 25. Jesus actually makes mention of this. He says, Tupfet, which is of old, or Gehenna. Not the same as as Sheol or Hades. Sheol was a temporary place. Tupfet was made from old, and it is exactly where the devil one day is going to get stuffed when Jesus comes back and gives him what he's rightly due. Amen? Right now, there are still human beings waiting judgment in Sheol. That's what Luke 16 pictures for us. There in verses 19 to 26, the story of this rich man. They were there in Abraham's bosom, and there's this chasm that's between Abraham, Father Abraham, and this beggar named Lazarus, and this rich man. He says, look, there's a gulf. We we can't come to you. You can't come to us. Jesus set those captives free that were there with that beggar. They're in heaven right now. They already left. But those that are still awaiting in Sheol are awaiting the great white throne judgment. They're awaiting what the Bible says occurs there in Revelation 19. That that final judgment of the Lord. And so Isaiah makes reference to it. He says, no, no, no. He's not going to Hades. The king isn't going to Hades. He's not going to be resting. He's going to be dealt with permanently in hell. And so when someone comes to you and says, well, the Bible really doesn't teach about a permanent hell. Yes, it does. It very much does. And in fact, Jesus himself is the one that says it. In reference to this place, Tophet, or Gehenna. In that day and time, it was just outside of the city walls. It was the Hinnom Valley. It was where the worship of Molech took place. It's where people went and sacrificed their children. And it burned eternally. I know this is kind of a bummer way to end this particular passage, but it does so for a reason. The prophet Isaiah, speaking to the children of Israel, is reminding them, look, if you turn to the world, the result is is tough fat. If you turn to Egypt, the result is tough fat. It's hell. But if you turn and rest in me, the result is abundance in heaven. On church, people don't like, this is one of those messages, no, don't, don't talk to me about hell. We seem to have a propensity in our world right now to somehow try and figure out a way to say hell doesn't exist because we don't like it. I don't like it, to be honest with you. When Jesus said, where the worm does not die, nor is the fire quenched, when the, the smoke that Revelation 14 talks about that ascends 
forever and ever and ever and ever. They have no rest day and night. Those who worship the beast and who received his mark, those that have been cast into that lake of fire. What the Bible says when it says, Aeonios posto Aeonios. It is the most strong term that exists in all of Scripture for forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. So when Jesus says that, he says, that place was prepared for Satan from time past. And it is going to exist into time future. But I don't want you to go there. And so Isaiah says to the children of Israel, don't trust the world. Trust the Lord. The result of trusting the world is forever and ever and ever separation from God. But trusting in the Lord is forever and ever and ever blessings. The choice is yours. So don't pack your stuff on the donkey and head towards the world. Rest in the Lord, and he'll take care of you. Amen? Amen. We just stand and we'll close in prayer. If you're watching online, we have pastors available. Maybe you don't know the Lord. Maybe you're here tonight. There's people at the exits that uh, will be there to, to speak with you. If you don't know the Lord, don't leave tonight. Don't leave tonight without resting, without taking that time to say, yes, Lord, I want that rest. I want to know you, Jesus, so I can rest. Father, we thank you. Lord, I pray tonight if there's anyone that's listening, whether they're here tonight or whether they're at home or they're sitting out on a porch or a patio or a beach or driving in their car, wherever they're listening, Holy Spirit, come and speak the truth of the good news of the gospel that you, Jesus, came to this earth for the express purpose of dying in our place on Calvary's cross. You shed your blood for us. And if we will believe in you, that you died on that cross, were buried and raised three days later, that you were the first fruit of all of creation, that uh, because you live, we shall live eternally as well. Lord, we who have put our hope and trust in you, uh, announce to the world that we love you, Lord. And for those that are listening that don't know that, haven't made that profession, they would just simply invite you, Jesus, into their life tonight be their Savior and Lord. Thank you for sparing us from going to the world and wandering after, after Topfet. Lord, help us to walk with you and to trust you and to rest in you all day, every day. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.